ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Drums. Anyway, I guess this means that more quickly than usual, we are going to move on to your questions. All right. Somebody already got to the right one. What about the mid to late 90s compared to the decade-ish later makes the Andre Big Boy discussion change? Okay. So this thing came up on the internet where somebody said something about them Earth Gang cats that I still haven't gotten around to listening to. No shade. I just haven't gotten to it. Um, and said that the Earth Gang cats was like, outcast if outcast had two andres and she was very proud of herself for the observation though i feel like we would all have to acknowledge an outcast or two andres like that's not a group right an outcast with two andres is andre am i the only person that sees it that way like if you got a group and the two dudes are the same like like what do you like like does effects you know like i Dude, Dos Effects, no bullshit. I got that Dos Effects tape. I want it from the radio station, actually. And it was two dudes on the front, and I thought that it was, like, two pictures of the same dude. Because I like, what you mean? These are different people? There's no way they're different people. Oh, they're different people. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, so Outcast with two Andres is Andre. I'd also like to make note, by the way, how many rap songs have you ever heard that are just Andre? Like a song that is just a straight ahead of rap song. I can literally count one. Right. That one has to be uh day of the life of Benjamin Andre off of the, uh, the, love, the last track on the love below. Can you name another track that you've heard? That's just Andre rapping. I don't mean that to like shade or anything like that, but seriously, like, can you name one? I can't. Anyway, and of course, that set up a thing where, you know, why y'all be overlooking Big Boy, which those of you who have followed me for quite a while understand is wheelhouse territory for me as far as stuff I do, because I have been the leader of the Big Boy Appreciation Movement for a very, very, very long time. Um, But I need you to understand something. When I get into a discussion of Big Boy and Andre, I'm really not spending a lot of my time thinking about which one of them is better than the other. I don't, right? Like this outcast thing means something different to me. This I will say, though. Like there are obviously things that each of them does better than the other, but Andre is this damn rapping savant where at his best, I don't know if anybody is better than him. And part of why I don't know if anybody at their best is better than Andre is because I don't know if anybody in rap has a better voice. Like, with Andre, it ain't never, like, a matter of, like, this dude is riding the beat. Like, he is the beat. Like, once he gets on, all the attention is right there with him. You know, like, he's that dude. Like, he is that good. But I I sent a tweet out that said that I don't think – because somebody else sent something that was talking about how part of why people don't give Big Boy his credit is that Big Boy – is the hood dude that they are trying to escape from. And Andre is like this exceptional hood dude that they want to be like or something like that. And a lot of people seem to be really upset and dismissive of the idea, but I'm not. 
I'm not saying that the way he put it is absolutely correct as like not a hood dude. I don't really want to get too much into that, like part of the discussion. But this I do think. And if you weren't like a around in the mid 90s when they came out or two heavily invested in the notion of hip hop culture, right? The notion or the idea of it. Like if you were a person who yourself saw like hip hop was not just like some music that you were listening to. It was something that you wanted to live. And there were a lot of fundamental, like there were discussions about rap and what rap was that if you come up in this day and time, you can't relate to like the idea or discussion about what is or is not real hip hop. That is like that game's over now. Nobody really talks about that in this time and place now, but in 1995 and 1996, this is at the front of the discussions that we are having. The other thing that you have to remember about the mid nineties is this is before the South like blew up. This is before the South took over the game and where outcasts are not the first Southern rappers to drop. Obviously you go, so you know, you got to go to the cats in Houston before you get to outcast. Right. So in Miami, um, they're not the first, but they were the first out of Atlanta. And that matters a lot. When you think about what it, what hip hop is now as it relates to Atlanta, they were the first out of Atlanta, but this is new for a whole lot of people. And so Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music comes out. And even though there was but so much of a template for, you know, like what Southern rap was, that is what you would think of a Southern record being in 1994. You know, it is production wise like it doesn't sound like the chronic the chronic is like has a far more minimal sound and i'd say the chronic overall had a bit of more had a harder sound but there are some parallels sonically to southern playlistic and the chronic southern playlistic one of the greatest produced records ever and part of it is that both of those leaned on live instr- instrumentation in a way that not that many people really did in 1994 right like it was a very very distinct sound and what they gave you was let me introduce you to southwest atlanta Right. It was a really interesting look through the eyes of a fun loving, like 17, 18 year old riding around in Atlanta. Like like that's what that was. Like you listen to players ball. Players ball is new. He's riding around on New Year's Eve in Atlanta, like coming out of Christmas season, going into New Year's Eve. Like that's what players ball is. And it gives you a picture of what that city is, the ways that it's city, the ways that it's country, like all of that stuff. So that's what you wind up getting out of that first record. You go to AT Aliens. And I remember when AT Aliens came out, I took it as having more of an East Coast sound than the first record did. I go back and listen to it, and I wrote about this now. Shit, man, it might have been about 10 years ago that I wrote this. But I realized it really wasn't that it sounded less Southern. What it was is that the sound and the content was a lot darker, and that felt a lot more like the Wu-Tang stuff that was coming out at the time. So I was making a poor connection. Um, between those two things. But the other thing that happened with that record was Andre hid a bit of his weirdo from us on uh, Southern Playlistic. He started giving us some glimpses of, glimpses of when AT Aliens comes out. I mean, that's when this fool started walking around with the turban and stuff, you know? Like, we started to get a hint of the weirdo that he was with AT Aliens. And then he just went full on into it with Equimini, Right? Meanwhile, big boy, hey man, he's just a southern playlistic pimp, right? His style was it's not like his style was what everybody else was doing, but his style was more in line, perhaps, 
were what somebody would have expected. I mean, that style when it comes to his clothes, I also mean that style as it relates to him rapping and, you know, topicality to a degree is that it was more in line with what you would expect. And Andre was like this super wild card where there was kind of no telling how he was going to go about something at a given point in time. Now, this is why I say that the mid-90s discussion was different than it is now, and it ties into like the notions of real hip-hop and everything else that I was talking about earlier. My homeboy Kane, I went to college with my man Kane. Who knows? One of y'all listening to this know Kane. Y'all know how Kane is, right? Kane, the most hip-hop dude I've ever met in my life. Kane, 39 years old. Kane's still kicking it. Like, he he lives and breathes that hip-hop in a way that's, like, unlike anybody that I know. Like, he's always been about that. But Kane is one of those essentialist, real hip-hop types. And he saw Andre as an MC, and he saw Big Boy as a rapper as a very, very, very good rapper, but he only saw him as a rapper. He did not see him as an MC. My man even would say that about Scarface, where he saw Scarface as a very, very, very good rapper, but he did not see him as an MC because the MC to him was like this, this like artistic notion, right? Like it was this whole, like this free form sort of thing that was out there by whatever concept he had about advancing the culture or whatever it was. But to him, if you were rapping, about your car or you were rapping about your clothes or rapping about any of that stuff. He didn't see that as being an MC, which is like a serious impediment in a lot of ways for people um, who are evaluating Southern rap at the time. Cause that's a lot of what cats are rapping about. One thing I always find very interesting, by the way, is that people who don't really understand about rapping about your car or did not understand about rapping at your car at the time was by and large people from New York. And what do people from New York very often tend not to have? Cars. You can't rap about a car that you don't have. Like in the South, the car is a big part of our culture. The way that y'all sit outside your porches because you got too many people living in the same spot. So you go outside and you do all that stuff. Same way you got that spirit in New York. We got the spirit around the car because the car is what we got. Right? We spend a lot of time in our lives in our cars. But a lot of people at that time looked at rapping about those things as being lesser. And it's not like that was always the case that people saw the game in that way. But as we started getting into the mid-90s, and we started getting into kind of like a new golden age of rap, it became now, at that time, again, it became very much so about controlling the direction of the culture. Like, this is stuff that people can't relate to right now, but there's a lot of people who at that time saw into the future and were like, yo, if we don't get a hold of what it is that we're doing right now, then it's going to be taken away from us, and we are not going to have the say-so in the direction of our own culture that we have right now, right? And so a lot of that became, yo, we need to hold on to what we got. And part of holding on to what you got is we can't be out here on this commercialism. We can't be out here talking about things that were seen as being of lesser substance. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? And so when you start with that as being the times that we are in, Outcast was so dope where they were honestly the first group that I can think of where geography could not stop people from appreciating what it was, right? So as there was an East and a West thing that came up, boom, then Atlanta came out, right? And everybody pretty much was on board. They got booed at them source awards, but you know, that was a wild night in there. People got on board with this one quickly, right? 
but you wound up there. Like Bijan talking about that, like the era of conscious rap and all of those things. Andre was more in line, at least on a superficial level, with what those who believe that he was going in the right direction of the culture. Those folks were more inclined to rock with Andre because they look at him and they see him doing that art school type stuff, right? And they're like, oh, man, he's so creative. And then they look at Big Boy and Big Boy got on the Kango and Big Boy got them braids, you know, and Big Boy got the jewelry and all that stuff. They looking at him like, and then this one of these is like fools from the South because you got to remember how little people thought of us. And so even though Andre is unquestionably Southern and has that ridiculously thick Southern accent and everything else, people were able to view him in a way that's kind of like how people like Fonte. Like if you ever meet Fonte, Fonte from the South, like ain't no way around that. Fonte from Greensboro. Yeah, like Fonte from the South. But you can listen to Fonte as a rapper and not think of him as like, you don't think of little brother as a Southern rap group. You don't think of him in that way. And so this is at a time where there was a serious, powerful bias against Southern rappers. Big Boy looked the part of the Southern rapper in a way that Andre did not. Andre operated much more in an abstract space. Right? Like Andre, I think it's what people say about Thelonious Monk. I don't listen to like enough jazz to really be the one to give you, but they say the thing about Thelonious Monk and where he operated at his best was in empty space. And Andre operates very well with empty space. Big Boy is always going to use up more of the space. Andre allows you to fill in some gaps yourself to imagine some things in some ways that Big Boy does not. Like just in terms of flow, like just in terms of the way that he rapped. But Andre sounds more like the rappers that people of that time grew up with. Big Boy sounded more like this Southern shit that people were trying their best to deny. Like something you need to understand. You go on the internet right now, you ain't going to find nobody that say a bad word about UGK. You're not. I take you back to 1994, 1995, 1996 and ask a lot of these people if they had even listened to a UGK record. Everybody that listened to it rock with it. But people were denying what was going on in the South, something vicious. Like, there was no way around it. And so a lot of those biases, I think, lead to people at that time discounting Big Boy at the expense of Andre because Andre sounded more to them like what they wanted rap to be. In the meantime, what a lot of those people missed out on is all the stuff that Big Boy was rapping about. You go back through ATLians. Big Boy rapping about his Annie dying. Big Boy is rapping and giving you a little political flavor. He's giving you that on all these records. In fact, when it comes to talking about stuff like politics, Big Boy give you a lot more depth on that stuff than Andre does. Now, you go listen to War on Speakerbox. You ain't really getting that much of that uh, from Andre. Let me tell you something else Big Boy giving you, too. Big Boy is giving you more of his actual life, and he is exposing himself in those ways more than Andre does. Andre gives you a certain emotional vulnerability, but you know Big Boy's life from listening to them tracks. I don't know shit about Andre's life. 
that's fine. I ain't got no beef with that. I'm just telling you that in a lot of ways, people have just gotten it all wrong with Big Boy. Another part of where they kind of got it all wrong with Big Boy is the fact that Big Boy could probably go into more of this freeform space, except somebody had to keep the music on the ground. Like you couldn't let you couldn't have you, you couldn't have Andre doing that, and then you're like, "Cool, I'm gonna do the same thing." No, somebody had to keep this anchored to a degree, you know. And so that's what I think happens with Big Boy is that those of us who were of the time, I really don't care what you kids think about this one. Like I saw my man Justin Tinsley uh, was tweeting about this stuff. How Justin, like 31, 32, his opinion is so irrelevant to me on this matter. As for the rest of you youngsters, I just don't care what you guys have to say about this one because this is one where I'm like, yo, you kind of needed to be in the time to kind of understand the ups and downs and the things that people say. But like the big boy appreciates society that exists on Twitter right now. I'm telling you, six, seven years ago, maybe like they wasn't there in the same ways. They wasn't. They wasn't. And there's a whole lot of people that are like, Andre is just 100% better than Big Boy. It's not even close. And if you feel that way, that's fine. I'm not even going to argue with you about that. I'm going to just tell you that if that's the way you say it, then you don't get the point on Big Boy, and that's your own stupid-ass fault. Now, you can say that you think Andre's better. That's cool. It doesn't really matter if you do, right? Do or don't, whatever. You can say that you think he's better. That's fine. But if you're saying that in a way that is dismissive of Big Boy, then I feel like you don't appreciate just how dope Big Boy is. Now, granted, some of you may find some irony in me saying it like that because I got into it that one time on the internet with Talib Kweli because I said that, no question, Big Boy was a better rapper than Talib Kweli. Talib Kweli did not like that. He said I was supposed to add him when I did that. I may or may not have sent him the YouTube video to Carl Thomas emotional because that is how I felt he was behaving. By the way, I would tell you by the time I went to go see a girl in her dorm room and I thought I was going to get it cracking. And then I got there and she answered the door and she was wearing like some leopard print pajamas. And I was like, OK. And then I sat in the room and then she just played Carl Thomas emotional on loop because some other dude she was messing with, it messed her head up. And I just kept sitting in there for a while. Like, so when's this going to turn? Right. Like, was this going to this going to flip up and like get in my favor? It never did. Not that night. Not no other night. Never did. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah, I think like Big Boy is unequivocally a better rapper than Tyler Kweli. That is what I think. So I'm not saying that I don't believe it's possible to say somebody's unequivocally better than somebody else. I am saying, however, are you really trying to say that the gap between Andre and Big Boy is the same as the gap between Big Boy and Tyler Kweli? Like, I need you to ask yourself that. Because if you think it is, you just might be into a bunch of shit that I'm not. That's fine. But, like, kind of put that into, uh, into perspective. Oh, this dude said he thought I was going to say I went to this girl's room, and then she put on some quali. Um, Yeah, that would have been interesting. But I feel like, at least for the era and the time, like 98, 99, like, I feel like if you walked in and she put on some quali, you would not have been surprised because she'd have been walking around campus in camouflage and you'd have smelled the incense from the door. Like that, like that was a type. That was definitely a type. That makes sense. Big boy stuff. 
was worth the time because I kind of teased it out over the day. I feel like that thought was kind of worth the time. By the way, speaker box greater than love below. That was the other thing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I'm gonna get back to that before I get to the next question. But this is this is this is kind of a thing where, like I say, people just miss that dude for talking about Andre being like the hood dude that they wanted to be and Big Boy being the one they wanted to get away from and stuff like that. Oh, here's what Andre was also. For those of y'all who thought that hip hop needed to be transcended, then Andre was your guy. Like for people who like rap, but then they still ultimately find rap to be simple and primitive and not. And a lot of people that love rap that don't realize that they feel that way. But they had the types to be like, yo, outcast. It wasn't just hip hop. It transcended hip hop. Hip hop cannot be transcended because as Chuck D made the point. Hip hop is music that's made from music. There's we can incorporate anything and bring it into rap because that's how it works. You cannot transcend it because it is literally the only music that encompasses literally every other kind of music. Right. So you cannot just like you can't transcend rap. But for those people who did see things that way, Andre out here crooning and doing all that stuff and everything else. For those who don't realize that they actually dislike rap as much as they like the way it sounds, then Andre was your guy. And as a result, because Andre did his thing in that way, a lot of y'all then looked at Big Boy as being like simple or primitive himself or like he ain't really on something new. Man, you go back and listen to the way Big Boy rapping on equipment, I think on your autos. Like you go back and check out what Big Boy was giving y'all on that stuff. Yeah. I bet you'll realize you were wrong. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Do you think Kevin Hart meant well with his comments to Lil Nas X? Of course not. He didn't mean well. I don't know what he meant, but he didn't mean well. If you didn't see this, you know, LeBron James got that barbershop show and they were there and Lil Nas X, uh, I guess, it, it, would it be appropriate to say he came out and the reason I got reluctance to say that he, like, came out, I may have told you guys this story, but I went to uh, school at one of my stops with this one dude, and um, he would, like, when he got comfortable with people, he would, you know, with many cases, he would come to them and tell them, I just want to let you guys, you know, let you know uh, that I'm gay. And I didn't like him, and he didn't like me. So I never like was in the position where he came and told me that he was gay, but I was really hoping that he would do it just so I could look at him and tell him when he told me, you know, tell people that he was gay, that I could respond to him. Well, hey, man, I just want to let you know, since we're all, you know, sharing that I'm black. Because there was as much mystery to me being black as there was to that dude being gay. And I again, I understand why it was the way it was, right? Like, I ain't got no problem with the way he did it. I ain't judging him for it. I'm just telling you that, like, he did not need to tell me or anybody else that he was gay. He did not. As I recall, though, he did ultimately marry a woman, somebody told me, and that, okay, come talk to me about that. I got some questions there. But you being gay, come on, man. Anyway, that's kind of how I felt about Lil Nas X coming out. I was like, remember Brittany Griner? They said Brittany Griner came out, and I really had this question. Was she ever in? You know, you know what I mean? And that's how I kind of felt like with Lil Nas X. Uh, Michael Stipe, R.E.M., I think I remember him saying that, where he was like, he didn't understand people being so fixated or fascinated 
with whether or not he was gay because he thought it was so transparently obvious that he was. And so that's kind of where it was with Lil Nas X, where it's just like, okay, cool. Um, I understand the magnitude of you doing such a thing. Like, I'm not discounting what it was that he did. I'm just curious, like, who the people were that heard that and were like, are you serious? Didn't that happen to, uh, when there got American Idol that was in a very similar situation to that? And you'd be like, yo, 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 so wait a minute. Y'all, y'all, y'all didn't know? Yeah, Clay Aiken. There we go. I had to Google it before I got it wrong. Yeah, it was just like, oh, okay, y'all didn't know? Oh, all right. You know, so yeah, it wasn't a stunner that Lil Nas X came out on that show. But again, that doesn't take away from the significance of such a thing. But when he's talking about it, Kevin Hart's over there like, who cares? Why? And I'm like, partner, you're too old to be acting like this. Like, we understand why this is a thing. You can make the question, it shouldn't be a thing. And maybe that's the point ultimately that Kevin Hart was trying to make was that it shouldn't have been a thing, but that wasn't the way to do it. And so do I think he meant well? I think that Kevin Hart was looking out for Kevin Hart and that that was a somewhat awkward situation for Kevin Hart, given the stuff that had happened around the Academy Awards and all of that. And so he doesn't know how to handle himself in that. And so what's he do? He kind of acts out. But did he mean well? Not toward Lil Nas X, no. I think Lil Nas X was secondary to Kevin Hart trying to make sure he didn't wind up looking silly, which, of course, ultimately ended with him looking silly. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. As a New Yorker, I wonder how big was 50 Cent in the South during his Get Rich or Die Trying era. Couldn't tell you, dog. I was in California, but he was a big deal out there. Hold on, hold on, hold on. How are you going to say you never heard a good posthumous album? You never heard Better Days Until the End of Time by Tupac? First of all, when the hell did I say that? Seriously, when did I say that, Michael R.? I don't like the Tupac posthumous albums, but I'm like, really, though? Like, when, when, when did I say that? All right, let me see what else we got here. Foles got hemmed up on felony theft, spending money deposited in the account. $120,000 gets deposited in your account that you didn't know about how long before you spend it. Okay, um, you give me just one second because I tweet these questions out so other people who might be interested in what we're talking about while we talk about it can check it out. And I have to get back to the other screen to see the name of the person who sent it. Somebody who calls himself Damn It Freddy. And let me say this, damn it, Freddie. You might be the dumbest motherfucker ever to ask a question on this show. Okay? And here's why I need you to understand this. I want you to read this. Like, like I want you to like read, read what, what, what he said, Freddie. Folks got hemmed up on felony theft, spending money deposited in their account. 120000 gets deposited into your account that you don't know about how long before you spend it. I don't spend it, Freddie. Why don't I send, send it? Why don't I spend it, Freddie? Let's go read your question again. Folks got hemmed up on felony theft. That's why you don't spend it, Freddie. You knew that money wasn't yours. Let me give you another example of people doing very similar things. Let me see if I can Google this up properly. Here we go. 
New York Times, June 19, 2003. More than 100 members of the Municipal Credit Union were charged yesterday with looting hundreds of thousands of dollars from automated telemachines when a computer failure caused by the collapse of the World Trade Center allowed virtually unlimited access to money. So, yeah. It was cracking after 9-11 because everything went haywire and people was just getting money out of the ATM. And I guess somehow they thought nobody was going to come hem them up about the money. You know what this all sounds like to me? Did y'all ever have a scandal at y'all's university um, involving long-distance phone calls did y'all have like long-distance phone call numbers bounce around college see some of y'all don't know nothing about that because y'all didn't live in the landline era all y'all know about is cell phones but you used to have the dorm phone and you had to like figure out how you was going to get your long-distance call on at the time we had the option of the prepaid calling cards you dig where you could go and pay for a certain number of minutes. And then you do that. Um, my era is a little bit outside of the, uh, the, the, the pay phone era, but people could do that because they wouldn't just letting you make a long distance calls on your dorm phone. Right. You run that thing up, but what would happen invariably would be somebody would have a job on campus and their job on campus would give them a calling card number and they'd use that number and then they bring it back to the dorm and then they pass it around and now people are making calls. Right? Like that's how it would work. And every year, People be in there putting in them numbers, making those calls. And then every year, they'd round everybody up and be like, yo, what's up with these phone calls? Every year, this same thing would happen. They got me on it once. I was cool, though. Like, I wasn't really getting them. I was making calls for work from my dorm room. Anyway. I'm in there, and I remember I was sitting next to this one girl. She's a real sweet girl, and she was, like, really into Jesus, right? She was super-duper about that Jesus. She seemed to be a very, very nice girl, and one of them one of them people that probably thinks she ain't never told a lie in her life, you know? Like, she operates in that space. But there she was on that calling card number trying to rationalize it to herself, how she wasn't really doing nothing wrong when she knew damn well she was stealing, Right? Somebody was supposed to pay for these calls. They knew somebody was supposed to pay for these calls, right? And they knew it wasn't them. What do you think? What do you, what do you think that number was? What do you think that number was? Like the opt out, right? That was going to get you to the free hotline. That's what turned every call to an 800 number. Is that what you thought it was? No, nah, man, you knew you were stealing. That's fine. You knew that was exactly what you was doing. But she had to guy like, but my point being, you look up and it's 120 Gs in your account. You think it's a come up. You know damn well it's not a come up. Or you think it might be a come up. But more than anything, you know it ain't your money. So if you see something there and it ain't your money, 
you probably should just leave it alone. Imagine it like this. What if you were just walking down the street and you looked on the corner and what did you see but a sparkling brick of cocaine? That cocaine belonged to somebody. That somebody ain't you. And if they lost a brick of cocaine, they're going to find it. Inquiries will be made. $120,000, it's a lot more than a brick. Inquiries will be made. Somebody said, would you call the feds uh, or the bank first? Oh, no, I ain't calling nobody. I'm just not touching nothing. I am making the same sorts of purchases and withdrawals that I would have ordinarily. Like when they take that 120000 back out, I'm going to be like, ah, that feels a lot more like normal. This Malcolm West dude talking about, but I'll spend $120,000. Malcolm West, you are one of the two dumbest motherfuckers ever to listen to this show. I'm amazed how stupid people are sometimes, man. Like, ask yourself, would you kill somebody over 120 grand? And I know a lot of y'all would. And the reason I know a lot of y'all would is I watch a lot of this snapped and they be out here killing people for the littlest insurance policies. They be out here killing people behind $15,000. I know y'all kill somebody behind 120. Sammy's like, he's with Malcolm, another idiot. I'm just amazed. I, I don't understand. Should I be insulted by this? Right. Should I be insulted by the presence of so many idiots and this my most personal piece of content that I offer you guys? Should I be insulted that people that stupid actually find what I'm doing here to be like interesting enough that they do it in real time? Because I would like to think that I'm offering you guys something that comes with a certain level of intelligence that should shake off some of the stupid. Like if I can't get rid of you, the least I can do is help make you smarter. And apparently neither of those things is happening with you people trying to take this $120,000. Talking about victimless crime. You're going to find out who the victim is. Let me tell you something about crime. The real victim they care about is the economy. That's the one they looking out for at all times is the economy. My brother would talk about that one time. Let me tell you, like, like you go, go forget about robbing a bank. Go rob a grocery store. Make it to where the grocery store can't open for a couple days. They ain't going to throw you under the jail. And you know the big one. Let me see who in this room knows it. I know Lance knows it because it, it relates to somebody he knows. I believe you got some Kent folk that can speak to this. But uh, does anybody in here know the crime that you hear about that you probably don't doesn't feel like a really big deal, but is the biggest deal in the world once they catch you? Anybody? Somebody said tax fraud. That's not what I'm talking about. People keep saying lying on your taxes. Uh-uh. I give you a hint. If you say it like slang, it rhymes. Ah, oh, somebody got it. I just saw somebody put it in there. That's right. Counterfeit. AKA funny money. Let the man catch you with that funny money. See what happens. Let me tell you about that funny money. So I used to, uh, I used to, well, in Miami, I paid the rent in cash, right? But my landlord went to a different bank than I did. It's so I would go to my bank. Somehow I didn't know I could just write a check and do this. But anyway, I would go to my bank. I'd get the cash. 
and then I go to her bank and then I deliver the money. One time I go from my bank. I go to the new bank. The new bank takes my money and runs it through the machine to count it. Oh, yeah, I was balling. I was balling. Anyway, she run it through the counter and this one bill kept getting tossed back. And they gave it back to me. And they told me. It was counterfeit. And I'm like, well, damn, what am I supposed to do? Right? But I know what I'm not about to do. I'm not about to get caught with this funny money. At the same time, my bank got to give me back my money, right? You understand what I'm saying? And so I go back to my bank, and I'm like, hey, guys, I just got some money from y'all. And y'all gave me some funny money. I was just like, look, this is what they told me, right? They told me that it was funny money. But y'all, you know, because what I want now is some real money. But the problem with trying to get some real money is what I am doing, in effect, is passing a counterfeit bill. But they the ones that gave it to me. But how do they know that, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do they know that? I walked out. I come back like, yo, I just got some money. Here's a counterfeit bill. But I felt like they should have gave me my, they the ones that gave me that funny money. Let me tell you what they did. They took that funny money from me and they made me fill out a form. And I filled out the form. And I guess they gave that form to the government. But I never got that $100 back. And you know why? Because they don't play no games about that funny money. Don't get caught with that funny money. You will do calendars behind that funny money. But I knew this. I was getting that funny money out of my hands. Like, what I got to do is just give it back to the man, and the man can have that funny money. Sorry. Wasn't sure if I was on the right setting or not. But hell no, I wasn't going to jail behind that funny money. I'm going to check the rest of these questions. I feel like I kind of need to go out on a high note. Like, we've had a show. Uh, you've gotten 40-something minutes of highly concentrated content. You know what? I'm going to go out the way that those of you who love me will appreciate me going out. Who are your top 10 Houston artists, and do you throw Meg the Stallion in it now? 10. You want 10. Not even top five. Not top three. Nope. You want 10. 10 of them. How about this? How about I give you my top three ghetto boys? That's what you get. Top three ghetto boys. You want my top 10 members of the Wu-Tang Clan? I can give you that in no particular order. How about that? 10. Are you out of your mind? All right, one more. Are you ready for the 1999 Super Deluxe album? Should we feel guilty about listening to these songs from the vault that Prince didn't want to release? Um, yeah, I'm down to check it out. And I don't 
feel guilty about hearing the things that he did not want me to hear. I feel guilty about the potential of hearing things that aren't ready to be heard, right? Like things that have not been properly worked out, mixed down, all that kind of stuff. Those are the things that worry me. But something tells me the stuff that's in the vault, the more I think about it, is all ready to go. And if the stuff is all ready to go, then I want to hear it. I don't give a damn what he wants. I was like, he didn't want his music on Spotify. It's on Spotify. I'd be jamming it. Put that shit on YouTube. I'd love to hear it. She must be crazy. I feel bad about listening. to. No, no, I'll take them all. Like, I, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm here. Yeah, I'll take them all. Whatever. Whatever. You know, look, you know how ready I am for that Miles Davis stuff to finally come out? Now, y'all know about the Miles Davis stuff in the vault, right? I do think at first I was kind of like, yeah, I don't want to hear what's in the vault. But it was entirely because I wasn't sure the stuff would be ready. But if the stuff is ready, like if the stuff is is listenable, the stuff is professional quality, hell yeah, I want to hear that. Yeah, bring it on. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this thing once a week, but you know how that goes sometimes. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Uh, remember, if you cannot watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. Hey, man. Talk to you guys in a little while. Take it easy. <laughs>